All right, here we go. Uh, we're gonna we're, we're actually gonna be in uh, in in First uh, Samuel uh, chapter seven uh, to start. Um, and I know our reading was from First Samuel chapter eight, but the way that we're gonna do it today is is that they actually kind of go together uh, in sort of an interesting way. So so you probably are familiar with um, with First Samuel uh, chapter seven uh, chapter eight, right, where the people say we want a king, uh, but maybe not so familiar with First Samuel seven. You'll see today that uh, at least from my perspective, they kind of go together. Uh, what I would say to you is, um, uh, is to, oh dear, where's my, all my notes? What I would say to you is, uh, is to keep that kids chat in mind and, uh, and just sort of be honest at the forefront that you probably don't handle your problems as perfectly as you would like. Right? Uh, at least I know I don't. Um, I respond in any one of those ways. Not usually slump mode. That's my son Simon, by the way. Uh, my son Simon is the slump mode one. Uh, but almost all the other ways, I, 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 I sin and err and don't respond to problems as I should. So, so look at this. If you go to Google, right, and you, uh, and you just type in uh, problem solving, right, ways to solve a problem, uh, you're going to find all kinds of different articles. And you'll find uh, some websites that say, here's the four ways to solve a problem. And then you'll find as many as like, here's 12 ways to solve a problem, right? We're going to land right in the middle. And I found a kind of a random one that just says, here's eight ways, uh, eight steps to solving a problem. All right. So here's the eight step solution to solving a problem. So make sure you're taking copious notes because now you'll be able to solve every single problem that you encounter if you just master these eight steps. Okay. That's a joke. You guys know I don't really do how-to stuff, right? That's not what we're doing. We're eventually going to land on like, hey, let's consider our faith and let's consider Jesus. Here's the eight steps. Um, number one, define the problem. What exactly is going on uh, that is creating this problem, right? Number one, define the problem. Number two, set some goals. So go ahead and define the problem and then just set some goals, some steps, right, that you can take some concrete things that you can do, put into practice to solve the problem. Um, number three, brainstorm possible solutions. This is where you kind of get creative, right? There's no dumb idea in a brainstorming session, right? You've heard that before probably, right? So, so this is kind of one of those deals where you say, um, I've got some concrete steps that I can do, but I'm not going to let those be the only things. I'm going to look at the other options that might be available. I'm going to get creative and, and pursue and explore some options, right? Brainstorm possible solutions. Number four, rule out obvious poor options. This is kind of the reality check moment where you look at all of your list of options that you could possibly do, and you say, uh, okay, that one includes a rainbow unicorn, so that doesn't work. And this one includes pixie dust, and so that's not going to work either. And so you just take out the obvious poor options, right? Number five, uh, you examine the consequences. You just look at the different solutions that are left, right? Not the ones with the unicorns and the pixie dust. The ones that are left, and you say, what's the pros and cons to this solution? What might happen if we go with this solution to the problem, right? Uh, number six, identify the best solution. Uh, at least as far as you can tell, this is the best possible solution. So you identify that one. And then number seven, you put it into practice, right? You take a bold, confident step out and you just say, this is what we're going to do to solve the problem. And then number eight, you review and you say, how did it go? Uh, what actually happened? Did that actually work uh, to solve the problem. All right, so you got it, right? I didn't see very many of you scribbling down copious notes, so you're all going to face problems and it's not going to work for you. But that's besides the point. First Samuel chapter 7. Here's, here we go. Uh, the people of God have a problem 
And, and this is kind of interesting, right? First Samuel chapter 7 shows us the people of God with a problem and how to respond to a problem in a faith-filled way. Just kind of telling you where we're going. Chapter 8 is the opposite. It's the people of God with a problem, and they respond in a non-faith-filled way. The problem for the people of God in chapter 7 is the Philistines. Um, just to kind of catch you up, right, we're starting to make some massive jumps in the biggest story. So uh, real quick, right, what happens is the people of God are now in the promised land. Uh, last couple of weeks, we were sitting at Mount Sinai. We looked at the Ten Commandments. We looked at uh, God's command to build the tabernacle. And now they've left that. They've entered into the promised land, and they've actually started to set up camp. Um, their main enemy, the main opponent that they face, is the Philistines at this uh, particular section, 1 Samuel 7 and 8. Um, uh, later on, their main opponents are going to be Assyria and Babylon, right? Those are the three main opponents from the, for the people of God, opposing nations. Um, the Philistines are, are essentially, um, uh, if you are looking at a map, right, you're going to see the Philistines kind of all around the uh, the, uh, the south, southeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. They kind of surround that area, right? This is the section of the Philistines. And, uh, and the Philistines in chapter 7, uh, they, they, they find out that the people of God have all gathered together in one place. So they had been kind of spread out all over the promised land. And for whatever reason, right, they actually gather to worship on one particular day. And so they're all gathered in one place and the Philistines say, oh, we can go and wipe them out. The Philistines know that they are better equipped. Um, they're an older, more experienced nation, and they can attack the, the, the people of God right where they are and just wipe them out in one foul swoop. The people of God get wind that the Philistines uh, are coming, and they begin to shake with fear because they know that they're not as old of a nation, they're not as, ex as experienced, and they will not survive a Philistine attack. And so they are filled with fear. That's the problem. The Philistines are the problem in 1 Samuel 7. So um, they immediately set forward some goals, right? Some steps to take. It's really just one simple step. And just see this, right? It's an incredible faith-filled response. It's a beautiful response from the people of God. Look at it. Don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God that he may save us. Uh, this is what they tell Samuel. Uh, Samuel is essentially the leader, not a king, but he's the leader of the people of God. Uh, he's the one that's been representing God to the people. He listens to God. He tells them, hey, this is what God says. This is what God wants us to do. Uh, if the people uh, want something from God, they go to Samuel and say, Samuel, can you say this to God and see what God responds, what God says? Um, and so they go to Samuel, right, collectively. This is their solution to the problem. Samuel, don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God that he may save. You see how faith-filled that is? How beautiful that is? Um, uh, they essentially, right, number three, they, they lack <laughs> creative uh, brainstorming solutions. If you think about it, right, they're not being very creative they're not trying to brainstorm a bunch of different options. They just kind of say, oh my gosh, we've got this huge problem, and the only way to solve it is to go to God and ask him for help. Um, they, they rule out or don't even seem to consider poor options, right? That's number four. Um, like running away. They could have run away. They don't even seem to consider that. It wouldn't have worked because the Philistines were better and more equipped, so they would have been wiped out. It would have been a poor option, but they don't even seem to consider it. 
Um, they, they don't try to make a treaty or a covenant with the Philistines or with other nations around them and say, hey, can you come and help us defeat the Philistines? Uh, they, they don't, you know, make this brilliant battle strategy to try and, uh, you know, be the underdog and win the fight. They don't do any of those poor options. They just say, hey, Samuel, don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God so that he might save us. Um, if we uh, just kind of jump forward then to, to number seven, right, Samuel, Samuel puts the solution into practice. And, and I just want to find it here. Uh, Samuel chapter seven. Oh, where did it go? Uh, verse 10. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to attack the Lord. But the Lord, what, thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before the Israelites. You see that? So, so Samuel took this nursing lamb back in verse 9, offered it to the Lord as a burnt offering, and Samuel cried out to the Lord. He puts the solution that the people of God offered into practice. And then the most beautiful words right at the end of verse 9, and the Lord answered. I'm not suggesting to you, this is not a how-to, right? This is not a, hey, if you pray, God's going to send thunder and strike down all your enemies. Right? I just want to be clear about that, that, that while this is an incredibly faith-filled response, God doesn't always clean up the messes as quickly or as easily as he does here in this moment. just want to kind of own that and, and say that up front. So we're not deceived into thinking, I prayed and nothing happened, right? Just that, that's a different conversation for a different day. But, but, but just see this, right? Samuel, don't cease to cry out to the Lord that he might save us. Samuel cries out to the Lord. And God sends this thunder that throws the Philistines into confusion. And the Philistines are defeated before Israel. Um, in the review of, hey, how did it go? This is pretty cool. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Ebenezer stone, it comes right here in uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So as they do this little review of how their problem solving skills went, they essentially say, oh, that worked out really well. Let's set up this stone so that we remember what we did, right, that we never ceased to cry out to the Lord for help and that he actually came and helped us and that up to this point he has helped us and saved us. Y'all tracking with me so far? First Samuel chapter 7. I'm seeing like some blank faces, so I'm not sure that you're actually tracking with me. Um, 1 Samuel 7, uh, next chapter is, uh, is 1 Samuel chapter 8. And again, right, we uh, can walk through these steps to solve a problem. Um, but this time it's a much different response from the people of God. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, their problem is a leadership problem. Their problem is a leadership problem. They essentially look at Samuel and they say, Samuel, you old. Right? They're looking at Samuel and they're saying, hey, um, no offense, buddy, but you're getting old and we don't know how much longer you're going to be around. And so what's the solution to that, buddy? And then they start to look at Samuel's sons and they say, oh, Samuel's sons are not walking in Samuel's ways. Samuel had consistently um, uh, been following the ways of the Lord. Right? Been, been consistently representing God to the people. 
uh, Samuel had consistently been a good and faith-filled leader. But Samuel's sons have not. <laughs> and it specifically tells us that they, that they took bribes. Um, that they were taking money from people and allowed it to pervert justice. So um, instead of judging in a faith-filled way, in a God-filled way, um, they took money and then they made their uh, decisions, their choices, based on what money they received. Uh, in a bigger uh, kind of scale, um, uh, we know that the Philistines are still out there. And so um, they've got this problem of the Philistines, and they're saying, hey, who's going to lead us into battle against uh, this other nation, against these mighty armies that come up against us? And, and even beyond that, the people of God lack unity, right? They lack unity because they don't have this kind of key figure leader. Uh, at the end of the book of Judges, if you're going chronologically, right, Judges, First and Second Samuel, uh, it says this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Not everyone did what was right in the eyes of God. Not everyone did what was right in the eyes of the nation. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so the people of God lack unity. And so they come to Samuel and they say, hey, Samuel, we've got a leadership problem. They jump right into number two and they say, hey, here's the goal. Here's the step to solve the solution. They say this, now appoint for us a king to lead us like all the other nations. Now, just kind of a quick word on this, um, because we often think, oh, they're so foolish for wanting a king. Um, that's really not the issue, actually. The, the problem isn't that they want a king. The problem is that they want to be like all the other nations, right? They're supposed to be a holy, set-apart people of God. They're supposed to be distinct and different from everyone else. And the problem is that they're looking around at everyone else and saying, hey, I want what they got. We think that the best way to solve our problem is the way that they solve their problems. Uh, just listen to some of these verses. Genesis chapter 3, God promises an offspring of the woman that will rise up and defeat evil. He promises that a, a, a somebody, right, an offspring of Eve, a person, is going to rise up in power and authority and crush any kind of evil or opponent. That's the promise in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 17, God promises Abraham that kings will come from you. Um, Genesis 35, God promises a man named Jacob. He says, kings will emerge from you. Deuteronomy 17, right? That's uh, before this in the chronological timeline. Uh, God says, hey, when you get into the promised land, you're going uh, you're, you're to want to anoint a king. And, uh, and when you do that, here's what that king should look like. And God actually gives instructions for what the king should look like. And God's instructions for what a king should look like in the kingdom of God is way, way different than what a king looks like in another nation. See, the problem is not that God, uh, that they want a king. God had actually promised and set forward that there is going to be a king. And, and that's okay with God. The, the problem is that they want to be like all the other nations. Right? The problem is that they, they don't want to be holy. They don't want to be set apart. They don't want to be different and distinct. Um, the problem is they want it their way when they want it, how they want it. 
Uh, we can brainstorm some other solutions for them, right? If we uh, think about uh, the third step to solving a problem, um, a great way to solve the problem here would have been, hey, Samuel, don't cease to cry out for us, right, that he may save us. Don't stop praying to God and asking God to raise up leaders for our nation. That would have been a great solution. It would have been a great solution to simply enjoy the promise of God, <laughs> to keep looking at all these promises from Genesis 3 through Deuteronomy and to say, wow, God wants us to have an amazing leader, an amazing leader that in Deuteronomy 17 isn't a taker but a giver. Right? In Deuteronomy 17, one that is writing God's word and reading God's word every single day. That's what God wanted for the, the, the king of the people of God. Um, it would have been a better solution to enjoy the promise. <laughs> to simply just say, hey, God has made us this promise and we can't wait for that to happen. It would have been a better solution for the people of God to simply wait for God's timing. <laughs> To simply say, hey, you've promised this, and we're holding you to it. When are you going to send that king? But they don't choose any of those possible other solutions. Uh, instead, what God does is he says, Samuel, I want you to go and tell them about how this is going to be a poor option for them. I want you to go and tell them how, um, how, how, what, what the possible consequences are going to be if you anoint a king of your own choosing on your own time. And Samuel says this, that king is going to be a taker. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your best fields. He's going to take a tenth of your grain. He's going to take your male servants and your female servants. He's going to take a tenth of your flocks. Sound like a good option? God says, hey, go and warn them so that they know that this is going to be a poor option if they choose a king of their own choosing on their own time when they want it, how they want it. Go and tell them the possible consequences that this king is going to be a taker instead of a giver. Um, step number seven, they, uh, they, they just put this into practice. Samuel goes and he warns them and they say, no. Did you catch that in the reading? They say, no, I don't know there if they're saying, no, those things won't happen, or if they're saying, no, we don't care. They have chosen and just dug their heels in and said, this is the solution we want. And so Samuel puts it into practice, and he says, hey, everybody go to your villages. That's how the chapter ended, right? He's sending them to go find somebody that looks like a king. Looks like a king just like all the other nations have. And this, we just have to see, we're going to make some huge jumps in the biggest story. It, it really charts the course, uh, pointing straight forward to Jesus. We've got this week, and we've got the next week, and then I think the week after that, we're jumping to Jesus, right? This is the kind of progress we're going to make here real quick. Um, uh, what they get is they get Saul, and they get David, and they get Solomon. And that reign where they keep going up and up and up goes about 100 years, and things are good. And they're probably thinking, man, we chose the right solution. And then the kingdom splits. And then the kingdom is lost entirely. About 500 years. That's all it took. 500 years. And the nation gets wiped out. The best news is what the video pointed us towards. That God was already working out the best possible solution.
that God had already planned to send a king of kings and a lord of lords that, that wouldn't be a taker, but would be a giver. And he wouldn't just give the people good things, and he wouldn't just give people blessing, and he wouldn't just give good leadership. He'd give his very life. He'd give his very life so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be set free from our own stupid problem-solving ways. It's the great good news that uh, even when we mess up the whole problem-solving thing, guess what? <laughs> There's a God who's working out the best possible solution for us. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let, let's, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we, um, uh, we thank you for being the type of king that you are. Uh, we thank you for coming and uh, uh, showing us exactly the type of king that God had planned. Uh, a king that would um, restore sight to the blind. Uh, a king that would make the crippled uh, run. A king that would make the, the deaf able to hear. A king that would... Uh, make the mute able to speak, a king that would heal and restore, a king that would give his very life so that we might live. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for uh, working out the plan of God. We thank you for being the best possible solution. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be in us and with us so that as we encounter problems, oh man, we wouldn't choose anger, we wouldn't choose slump mode, we wouldn't choose do it myself, but that we would come to you and never cease crying out to you for help, knowing the type of king that you are. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.